Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, I will see if it's possible to revive Flybee for a third time, while Tom explores the argument for a single European sky. Joe will give us the latest on the JetBlue Spirit merger, while I look at Ryanair's Ukraine plans. Finally, I'll see why a Lufthansa mistake was no joke for one passenger. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, I thought you maybe want to start by talking about Flybee 3.0. That's got to be a joke, surely. Is that a late (laughs) April fool? I'm afraid not. Um, So, you know, you might think it's not possible to resurrect the airline yet again, um, but it looks like at least parts of the airline are up for sale. So details released by the administrators of Flybee, um, who are David Pike and Mike Pink, show that they've appointed a company called Hillco Stream Bank to market the intellectual property of the company. um, And that includes the brand, the domain name and its social media platforms. Um, So, you know, the Flybee name is a fairly familiar one. It's been around since 2002, although the airline itself traces its roots back right back to my birth year, actually, 1979, um, when it was originally Jersey European Airways, then it was British European. And of course, just before its first bankruptcy, it briefly changed its name to Virgin Connect. Um, but of course, that venture was very short-lived because it ended administration in early 2020. Um, and then it restarted in 2021 and tried to reinvigorate itself as travel was picking up again. Um, But strong competition and slower than expected aircraft deliveries saw it placed into administration again in January this year. So there was some hope that it could be rescued as a kind of ongoing concern. In fact, some airline groups were linked with talks about Flybe, um, including your favourite Lufthansa and Air France KLM. Um, But the administrators have now said that there is no rescue coming. Um, Basically, the airline is down by about 82.6 million quid. That's over $100 million. And they've only got 6.5 million quid in the bank, about $8 million, I guess, um, and very few assets. So aside from its intellectual property, which we'll come to in a minute, um, the airline had, when it closed its aircraft, ground handling and airport assets, catering assets, premises, fuel, and a few other bits and pieces. Um, The aircraft, of course, are the most valuable of all those things, but they were leased to the company by either NAC or Ergo. um, So they weren't the airlines to liquidate. Their premises were leasehold. So apart from the equipment inside the premises, they're pretty much worthless to the administrators. In fact, the only assets of value, according to Pike and Pink, are the ground handling and airport equipment valued at £625,000 or $770,000, as well as the fuel and some other sundries estimated to be worth about £90,000. So far, just £62,000 of all all that has actually been realised. I thought it was interesting, you know, lots of people have spoken about its so-called valuable airport slots at London Heathrow. Um, But as the administrators were to discover, these weren't actually flybees to sell or to realise any value from. Uh, They were actually held under an agreement with British Airways through a European Commission agreement. And essentially, once flybee 
rescue was written out of the equation. They reverted to BA ownership and they've since been leased to Logan Air. Um, at Amsterdam Schiphol, they also, also had slots. That's a slot controlled airport too. And, uh, you know, very popular. Um, but there were no offers made, although they did try to sell them. So they were just returned to the pool and will be po- posted out by the um, slot coordinators. So what's actually for sale and could someone else restart Flybe? Well, according to Hilco Stream Bank, the assets that are available are the brand itself, which includes the name and the purple colour, um, which is protected by UK and international trademarks. It also includes website domains, including flyby.com, as well as all the content of the websites and Finally, the social media accounts of the brand, which have approximately 312,000 followers across the various platforms, which, uh, you know, to be frank, isn't a lot. (laughs) So, you know, you have to wonder why anyone would want to buy the Flyby name after all it's been through. It it was once a beloved airline. It's certainly a recognisable brand. You know, it was once the largest regional carrier in Europe, Um, but it's now let down its passengers' employees not once, but twice. So, for, in my opinion, that's a tarnished, tarnished reputation if there ever was one. Um, so I don't know why anyone would buy that brand. Um, despite everything, there is something to be said for saving the expense of branding and launching the digital assets of an airline, I guess. Um, so maybe a new entrant to the regional flying market could be find this appealing. Um, alternatively, I guess it could be bought by a travel firm reselling flights for the followers and the content. I really don't know. Um, but personally, I think the potential for a third flyby iteration is very, very slim. But, you know, perhaps its name and assets will find another place in the world of aviation. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a strange one selling this brand at this point, because, you know, I feel even if you used it at this point, I would not trust that having seen it go two times. But <laughs> no. um, moving on. Yeah, it's, it's 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 beyond repair, I think. But moving on, I wanted to talk about the European Single Sky Initiative. Have you heard of this, Joe? Uh, I've heard of Single European Sky. Is that the same thing? <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, it's just who knows. Um, it's the same words, different order. But um, it's something that a lot of the European airlines want. And I was at the um, Airlines for Europe uh, conference on Wednesday last week in Brussels, and. I found it really interesting because this was a point that was being pushed home by the all of the airline CEOs that were talking. And what I found most interested about this was that, um, you know, I was at the same conference three years ago, right at the start of COVID, and they were saying the same thing. And my understanding is that they've actually been saying this for maybe up to 20 years now. So mm-hmm. it's quite interesting because the the idea behind European single skies or single European skies hasn't changed that much in these 20 years. And I'll go over that a bit more in a minute, but the the sort of impetus for it has. So back in the day, um, the airlines wanted it for cost savings. So I guess it really wasn't such a big priority for Europe because um, it's sort of a financial matter. But now the argument is being made. And uh, Johan Lundgren, who's the CEO of um, EasyJet, said now they can't ignore it because the argument behind it is improving sustainability rather than financial. And uh, he said that's the big thing that's changed. But it hasn't because that was the argument they were making for this um, three years ago. But what what is the Single European Sky Initiative? Well, basically, um, right now, you know, you've got the French ATC set their rules for France, German ATC set their rules for France. Um, and there's not so much harmonization between the two. So, um, you know, rather than being able to fly in a straight line, you've got to follow um, 
follow airways it's maybe not the most uh most efficient route and that leads to extra c uh, co2 so basically what the initiative seeks to do is to harmonize and standardize air traffic control and technology across europe um it's that would in, uh, increase the capacity of the congested airspace um and it would reduce delays improve efficiency it will improve safety um and number one it will cut the co2 of the industry um because you know if you look at um if you look at it, it, it it's uh, johan used the in um the example of a route from i think it was milan to greece and um you know it could have gone in a straight line but it was going right around the top um following these airways and he said if that route was able to use um single european skies that single route it would cut co2 on that route by about 30 percent um across the sort of broader european industry they say that it would um cut co2 by around 10 percent and you know, I was chatting to Michael O'Leary one on one, and I mentioned this. And I was, I said, what, what is the big thing that's stopping you from, or stopping Europe from rolling out the the single European skies? And he said, you know, it, it there's nothing sort of really technological, or you know, it, it's all kind of ready to go. It just needs the the politicians in the European Union um, headquarters in Brussels to finally put. Uh, put it into action and um they've been asking for it for all these years and they, they're just the people in brussels aren't taking it seriously and um i think michael actually used some words that i can't say on this podcast if we want to keep our <laughs> um sort of non-explicit rating um but um you know he just said um that the commissioner taking no action whatsoever um he doesn't know what they're doing there and it's been three years uh with nothing being done, which is amazing. So, um, you know, I, it's it's quite interesting because I think if you manage to get this going, it would be game changing for European airspace. So, mm. you know, that's that's the key takeaway here is that the CEOs in Europe just don't understand why nothing's being done about it. Yeah, I think there's still a lot of protectionism between countries about their airspace. You know, if it's over my country, yeah. I want to retain control of it. And I think that's a very difficult political barrier to break down. But uh, I seem mm. to remember when I've read about it before, it's like 10% reduction in CO2. And that's a yeah. lot. You know, that's really substantial. Exactly. And it would stop all these problems with, you know, French air traffic controller on strikes. We've all got well, to go around <laughs> France, you know. <laughs> That was a whole other kettle of fish that they went into because they're saying <laughs> um, French strikes are pretty much every week now and uh, French domestic flights are being uh, protected and the overflights are the ones that are being cancelled. And mm. if anything, it should be the other way around. But, um, you know, that uh, would be a whole different podcast segment, <laughs> I think, if we delve properly into that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to hop away from Europe for a minute and uh, give a bit of an update on the Spirit JetBlue merger. So uh, this isn't single European skies. This is single airline entities, I guess. Um, and the trial date for the antitrust lawsuit that was set to block the merger, uh, we found out the date for that quite recently. It's going to be on October 16th. Um, and it's going to be held at the United States District Court of Massachusetts in Boston. Um, so what's this all about? Well, the Justice 
department is suing to block the acquisition, which is valued at about $3.8 million to prevent industry consolidation. Um, the DOJ said that JetBlue's plan would eliminate the unique competition that Spirit provides and about half of all ultra-low-cost seats in the industry. They said it would leave tens of millions of travellers facing higher fares and fewer options um, and that it would have long-lasting negative impacts on consumers. So the DOG, DOJ went on to say that the merger would harm particularly the working and middle-class Americans who rely on low-cost flights. And they cited some documents that show that when Spirit Airlines begins flying a route, the average fares for that route drop by about 17%. The DOJ says that removing the lowest fare option on routes would allow other airlines to increase their fares and raise the average cost on the route. Um, you know, this is something we've seen before. It used to be called the Southwest effect. JetBlue like to say they have a JetBlue effect of lowering prices. But as we've seen from their entry into London, they're not necessarily the lowest cost. You know, they kind of go for a hybrid fair cost and good value proposition with the the kind of nice amenities and, and everything, but also an affordable fare. Um, so Robin Hayes, obviously CEO of JetBlue, um, doesn't agree with this at all. He says, we believe the DOJ has got it wrong on the law here and misses the point that this merger will create a national low fare, high quality competitor to the big four carriers, which thanks to their own DOJ approved mergers control about 80% of the US market. Together, we intend to democratise flying for travellers across the country, a goal we believe is worthy of the government's support. Well, that was a couple of weeks ago. And now the situation for JetBlue and Spirit has got a bit worse because a new um, four more states have joined the lawsuit against the merger. So the attorney generals of California, Maryland, New, new Jersey and North Carolina have all joined the antitrust complaint filed by the DOJ. Um, and of course, originally the DOJ was joined by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, the state of New York and the District of Columbia. So it's like quite a few states now are coming out and saying they don't want this to happen. So, you know, the merger is kind of being attacked from all angles. But there is some good news for JetBlue and Spirit um, because they now have the support of the state of Florida which is good um, because Attorney General Ashley Moody outlined that the acquisition would benefit the state's local economy, particularly South Florida, as the state agreed to increase seat capacity by at least 50% in Fort Lauderdale International and Miami International if the merger goes through. Um, he also said that competition within the state would be increased as the big four would be forced to compete with the lower fares and better service that the combined airline would provide. So it's still a long way to go. Um, there seem to be far more haters than there are supporters of this whole deal. Uh, but I guess we won't find out exactly whether it's going to go through and how it's going to look when it does go through until the trial, which, as mentioned, is October 16th. So a little while to wait yet. I'm interested to see whether this this um, this pans out because it's they're the ones that stole the whole thing from those Frontier that wanted them in the yes. first place. So um, I guess Frontier is going to be feeling extra bitter if it doesn't go through. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but, you know, Talking of low-cost carriers, I wanted to segue into Ryanair because I mentioned previously that I spoke to uh, Michael O'Leary last week, and I wanted to dial in more on one of the points that we discussed, and that was, um, you know, the whole issue of Ukraine. Because for around a year now, it's been a no-go zone for any commercial aircraft airlines. But I was wondering, you know, how long will it take uh, Ryanair to get back into Ukraine once once it's declared safe? So. Um, he very, very charismatically said within seven days, you know, he said, um, we're going to charge back into Ukraine as fast as possible. 
We were carrying 2 million passengers in Ukraine before Putin's invasion. We had plans to open three to four bases in Ukraine in 2022. And we still see Ukraine as a market that has the same potential that Poland has. We would want to play a leading role in the reconstruction of air travel in Ukraine as soon as the European agents or authorities tell it safe to do so. Um, so I found this quite interesting because, you know, they're really not messing about. And that, that some of our commenters, uh, commenters mentioned that uh, perhaps, you know, there's issues with, um, you know, maybe the airspace is declared safe, but will these airports be ready to use straight away? And will people want to be travel? Well, I think, um, you know, I think there will be demand to travel because um, there's all of these Ukrainian refugees. They're going to want to, or some of them at least, are going to want to go home as soon as it's safe to do so. Um, I know uh, of a specific case where they, a couple of refugees in England have been home a couple of times. And they've had to fly to Poland and then take a 12-hour train to Ukraine to uh, visit because you, there's no flights. Um, it's the same for the... Um you know, the rescuers and the support organisations, you know, even yeah. just rebuilding Ukraine is going to be a lot easier if there's direct flights actually into Ukraine rather than doing this Poland and then a long train thing. Exactly. I think it will be a priority to sort of get this connectivity re-going. Um, of course, you know, it's not going to be back to business as usual on day one. Um, elaborating on this, O'Leary told me that I think we could go back into Ukraine within days Certainly immediately with destination flights. What he means there is, you know, if an aircraft is based in Stansted, it could fly from Stansted to Ukraine and back um, because, um, you know, it, all it maybe needs on Ukraine is on the ground is some fuel and a staircase. Well, it doesn't even need a staircase because it's got its own staircase. <laughs> yeah. Um, he said, he added, um, you know, it's going to be as quickly as possible with bases. Um, They've got the bases in Kiev, Lviv, and Odessa, but the problem is that Kherson may not be available straight away. But um, he then reiterated that they want to be active in reopening and uh, reconstructing the Ukrainian economy. So then this leads to another question, because, you know, Ryanair, earlier in our chat, he told me that they've had to cancel some routes this summer because they haven't got as many aircraft from Boeing as they hoped. And this kind of suggests they're already running at capacity. You know, they don't have capacity to add more routes. So if they open a whole nother market again, you might be thinking, well, that capacity is going to have to come from elsewhere. Well, it may not be that case because he um, suggested that, you know, if uh, Ukraine was declared safe on the 1st of April next year, that could be a challenge because the whole summer schedule would already be on sale and they wouldn't want to have to um, chop and change that and affect um, all of the customers. But, you know, if it's um, safe at the end of summer going into the winter. That's when they'd usually have 60 to 80 aircraft sitting on the ground waiting for maintenance and because uh, winter is sort of Ryanair's downtime. So, you know, they could straight away put those in. And then, um, you know, with the extra aircraft that are being delivered um, from Boeing at this time, they could factor that in there. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's certainly one to watch. I, you know, I can't say when this will happen, if at all, because um, no one really knows what's going to happen um, there. Mm. <laughs> so, um, Unfortunately. <laughs> that's really a, a watch this space. But, um, you know, this um, good news is that airlines are willing to go back as soon as, as soon as it's safe. 
Definitely. It's interesting because I spoke to um, Martin Gauss of Air Baltic um, last month and he said exactly the same thing. He said, the moment we can serve Ukraine again, we will immediately go back. Um, so far, we have the capacity. Um, we would open all three destinations. So that was kind of during the winter season. They've gone, in, as I spoke mm. about last week on the podcast, they've gone into some wet leasing to maintain their capacity for the summer. But uh, they're definitely committed. You know, it's a really big market mm. for them as well. And I think, you know, once it is safe, we'll see a lot of airlines very keen to get back there. Yeah, I had a chat with him as well at this event. Oh, so did you? <laughs> I've got some more stuff um, <laughs> to come from that, but uh, we can save that for another time. <laughs> yeah, maybe next week. Um, so I wanted to finish off today um, talking about uh, a little bit about April Fool's Day and about an incident that was actually no joke to anyone. Um, so it was April Fool's Day last weekend, and uh, we saw some pretty cool corporate jokes from aviation-related firms. Um, for example, JetBlue said it was introducing a snack market mask that lets you sleep while ensuring you don't miss anything from the snack cart. So you kind of put this mask on and it's got like a whiteboard attached to it. So you just write on the whiteboard what it is you want and they drop it off at your seat without waking you up. So that was quite interesting. Um, Actually, I think that was maybe a bit of a dig at Southwest because during the pandemic, when people were wearing their masks, Southwest said people had to write their meal choice or their snack choices on a piece of paper and hold it up for the flight attendants. <laughs> I think maybe that was a bit Crazy. of a, poking a bit of fun at a competitor there as well. Um, Sky Team pretended to be opening a dog spa, uh, while KLM in introduced us to a reversing beep to let you know when the person in front is reclining their seat. That one was hilarious. There's a really good video with it. As well. Uh, Paris Air Show this year will apparently feature the USS Enterprise. Um, Air New Zealand is getting some A380s. How exciting. And uh, Air Transat is bringing in Sun Lounger class for its holiday guests. <laughs> One of my favourites, of course. And what about simple flying? <laughs> I was going to come to that. One of my favourites, though, from our um, industry had to be the Emirates Cruise Line. You know, they always do something really cool with cool graphics. And I think a few people fell for it. Um, but yeah, of course, the best one was our announcement of our own brand new venture, Simple Trains. Um, you know, there's been a surprising demand for this idea, uh, which was started out as a joke, but you never know. Watch this space on that one. Um, <laughs> so one event that was not a joke involved a passenger of Tom's local airline, Lufthansa, who accidentally had his ticket home sold. So Ewan Davies was out in Croatia to watch the Wales qualifier for Euro 2024. Um, he travelled out from the UK at the end of March with no problems, but when he went to check in for his return flight, the booking had entirely disappeared from his app. So he just assumed this was a glitch, but called the airline to check. And the airline told him that he hadn't shown up for his outbound flight. Therefore, the return flight had been cancelled. But he said to Lufthansa, I'm here. I'm in Split. I'm ringing you from Split. You flew me here on Friday. Um, however, Lufthansa couldn't accommodate him on his planned flight because the seat had now been sold to another passenger. And he was forced to buy a seat on the only flight that would get him back to Wales in time for his work on Monday, which turned out to be an Air France business class ticket via Paris that cost him nearly a thousand pounds. Um, he says that it was he was told it was some sort of computer glitch. And he, he says, I've given them the seat number I've sat in. I've even told them about the passenger I was sitting next to. Um, but Lufthansa has told him it's sort of a one in five million type of fault. Um, his insurers say it could also be difficult to make a claim for the money back because he's got no paperwork at all to show that he was on the flight. Everything was dealt with through the app and all the details disappeared. So, um, 
you know, it's a very unusual situation and a very surprising story. But I guess this is the downside of digitising the travel experience. You know, normally you'd have a a um, boarding card or, a, you know, some sort of stub to say, here I was on the flight. But he's got nothing because it was all paperless. So, yeah, good for the environment. Not very good for insurance claims, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've got the, the same issue because um, some of my Lufthansa boarding passes that I'm looking for from last year, the year before, uh, have just totally disappeared from um, the wallet without me telling them to at all. And, oh. um, you know, it's just like, well, what do I do now? So, uh, but I did try and have a Lufthansa free podcast. Um, so that's not on me this week. <laughs> I brought that up. And I'm the only mention of the A380 as well. So, uh, yeah, True. sorry, listeners. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think that's all we've got time for for today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. And thanks for listening. Bye.